The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to TwoHeadedNerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter. This is the new Dark Gritty Superman. February 29th is my birthday, and if you didn't know it, you can f*** off. Oh, and you're listening to the Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. We are broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to the THN, episode 245, where we're talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, February 24th. My name is Matt Baum. You can find me at Matt Baumstein on the Twitter. And when I'm not winning my Oscar pool by picking the whitest movies in each category, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorkPoint.com. And my name is Joe Patrick. That's at Joe Patrick 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not binging Fuller House episodes, because that Uncle Jesse still got it. Have mercy. Have mercy. <laughs> okay, I did watch one episode of Fuller House while I was eating dinner with my wife. I, That's it. I'll tear the TV off the wall before we do that. It's south. Terrible. Of course it is. Oh, uh, when I'm not doing all that stuff, I'm searching for meaning as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska. Sorry, folks, it's Joe's first day. In this week's episode, you'll hear our reviews of Hellboy, BPRD, 1953, whatever, number one, and something else. After that, Joe and I will review 10 more of this week's comics faster than our choice for Supreme Court justice can get shot the hell down during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where the ghost of Easy e is joining us for our Oscar party and wrapping about next week's comics. And finally, it's time to play Take a Look. It's in a book. I bet you never thought it would happen <laughs> when we reviewed Troy Little's adaptation of Hunter S. Thompson's Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. But before we announce that the R-rated version of this podcast is coming soon, let's wave goodbye to Jeb Bush and get ready to welcome our new billionaire overlord, because who better to represent the people and understand our plight than a Manhattan billionaire? And then we'll talk about this week's Big Matt, here we go. According to Entertainment Weekly, Game of Thrones actor Finn Jones has been cast to play Marvel's Iron Fist. Jones will reportedly play Danny Rand in Netflix's upcoming Iron Fist series, which debuts sometime in 2017, probably. Yeah, they're just kind of throwing stuff out there now. They don't have a date for you. No. Now, you love Danny as much as anyone else I know. Are you going to be bummed out when he doesn't wear a high collar and plunging v-neck? Kind of. But I do think that this guy... Finn Jones. He plays a prince on the down low. <laughs> he's a, he's a closeted gay. Yeah, he's a closeted gay. Um, he's a well, prince, he's not right? A, well, yeah, he's um, Targaryen. He's Tyrell. He's like Loras Tyrell on Game of Thrones. That's right. He's Loras Tyrell on Game of Thrones. And uh, he's Natalie Dormer's brother. And he looks the part. He's blonde. He's not totally ripped up, which Danny's not. Danny's kind of a muscly, sinewy and, guy. But also there's time for him to get a little bit bulkier right? if they need him to. I mean, it's not like he's a fat slob. Oh, no, anything. no, no. He could bulk up a little bit. We should tell everybody that in the comics, Rand is best friends with Luke Cage and a master of martial arts with the ability to channel his chi into his fist, making it like unto a thing of iron. I love that. <laughs> I love it too. I don't know who came up with that <laughs> phrasing, but I love it. Iron Fist Cage, Jessica Jones, and Daredevil will band together for the Defenders team-up series. This seems to make perfect sense because we met Power Man. Well, they're not calling him Power Man. We met Luke. Luke, yeah, Luke Cage. Luke Cage and Jessica Jones. We know Luke Cage is getting a series. So this is the next natural step, right? Well, 
yeah, right. They announced that they announced before any of them had ever started filming that those were going to be the four shows. Right. Uh, the four solo shows. Leading towards Defenders. Leading towards Defenders. So like I said earlier, Iron Fist doesn't have a premiere date. Uh, Daredevil season two comes out like soon. March Very 18th. Soon. And Luke Cage comes at the end of the year. Jessica Jones season two has also been confirmed. So I kind of wonder if they're like, as these individual shows get an unexpected amount of popularity, if they go, oh, well, we have to make more Daredevil before we can make more anything else. You know what I mean? Like things get slightly. I don't know. I think it seems that they can sort of follow the same pattern as the movies that, you know, where we started off with you know, Captain America, and then we had Thor, and then, you know, Iron, well, Iron Man was before all that, obviously, but just sort of gently push the story forward, and not to mention that you're not making movies, you're making a TV show, so they have 12 episodes of each to sure. flesh out whatever they need to flesh out, and I guarantee we're going to meet Iron Fist in Luke Cage's show, and I mean, like, we have to, right? They're totally going to introduce him there. Oh, totally, yeah. absolutely. I am excited for these Netflix shows, man. They yeah. they hit it out of the park every time. It just seems like they can do a lot more with the shows than they can in the movies. Like my main complaint with Avengers two was they tried to do too much too fast in one movie. Had that been 12 episodes, probably would have been great. Fair. Speaking of Netflix, Joey, former daredevil showrunner Steve S. Denight has been tapped to direct a sequel to Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim. And here I thought we already canceled the apocalypse. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. The Pacific Rim 2, they have been talking about this since the second Pacific Rim 1 came it out. seems like it. And they'll, they're on again, off again, on again, off again. Guillermo del Toro keeps saying, no, it's not going to happen. But wait, it is going to happen. And now he's not even involved. <sighs> I like Steven, Steve DeKnight, though. I'm sure del Toro is still going to produce this. You would think. I'm sure. Here's the problem. Here's why they've been saying it's on, it's off, it's on, it's off. Pacific Rim had a production budget of $190 million. Well, yeah, they had to build all those mechs. Pacific Rim made $100 million. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it wasn't exactly a success. It lost money. Now, I'm sure when you go worldwide, yeah, I mean, when you look at like China, Japan, $411 million worldwide. So it made money. So this was a movie that maybe wasn't as big here in the States as it was elsewhere. Because Americans don't care about kaiju. Which is just ridiculous. What's wrong with these jerks? You don't like kaiju? Fine. You love giant robots, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> I'm not saying that the movie was good by any chance. It was cheeseball. Completely cheeseball. I had so much fun with it, though. I love I love Pacific Rim. I think it's great. I, I don't know. There were parts of it, of course, that were, like you said, super goofy, and I don't know if I really needed them. It was but, total cheese. Uh, I thought it was a great experience. The effects were awesome. The monsters were cool. The oh, mechs yeah. were cool. Yeah. Ron Perlman was cool. Yeah. Charlie Day is in it. Charlie Day. I forgot. Yeah, <laughs> he was in it. <laughs> uh, so this movie was going to come out August 2017, the day after my birthday. Oh, hey. But it was delayed. Womp womp. Oh, well. So tonight also was a creator of Star's Spartacus series, Blood and Sand, which I watched a little bit of, and then I just felt like I was just watching like Cinemax softcore porn. You know, when I as soon as I have the thought that if my wife 
comes home while I'm watching this, I need to turn it off. Yeah. That's when I'm pretty much done. <laughs> if, you, if you ever wanted to see Xena, Warrior Princess, with her top off, though, that's a show for you. He was also part of Paramount's Transformers writing crew. We're not going to hold that against Ooh, him because... Yeah, who knows? The dude's got to eat and he's made lots of good stuff. We can all agree that he kicked ass on Daredevil. Yes. He knows how to make a great... He knows how to film great action. He knows how to write good action. I, I think this could be a ton of fun and it's not going to be hard to be better than the first one. I don't really even think it needs to be better than the first one. No. I just want more of the first one. No, I, which I would be fine with. If yeah. it's better, hooray. <laughs> Today we face the monsters that are at our door. Today we are canceling the apocalypse. Matt, we talk about Zack Snyder a lot on this show. We do. I'm kind of tired of talking about how much I hate Zack Snyder. <laughs> Let's get into it, says D. <laughs> yeah, we cannot talk about this because... No one seems to understand what the f Superman is. The Motion Picture Association of America has announced that there will be an R-rated version of Batman v Superman colon Dawn of Justice being released on Blu-ray. It seems like Deadpool was such a hit that Hollywood has decided to smash blood and booms into all of our superhero movies for the foreseeable future. Am I overreacting here or have they once again learned the wrong lessons? I find it hard to believe. Yeah, I'm going to say, I think there's a little bit of a conspiracy here and not in the sense that like there's something nasty going on, but I find it hard to believe that we hear about this two weeks after Deadpool makes way more money than anyone thought it would. Well, yeah, of course. And it seems to me that they went, ah, yeah, we could plug in some extra like bloody scenes or dudes getting their heads blown off or maybe like... Or the obligatory topless scene with the girl from Airplane running through the fuselage topless. It's hard for me not to believe that they're not doing everything in their power to mimic everything that has been successful about comic book movies so far. And honestly, it just seems like it's getting messier and messier. Don't panic. The theatrical version is still going to be PG-13. The MPAA revealed the studio submitted a more violent, quote-unquote, ultimate edition of Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice that has received the R rating. That ultimate edition is scheduled for release only on DVD. I understand Watchmen. Watchmen, which was well, also, Watchmen was rated R. Was also directed by Zack Snyder. It's a very adult story. But even the story of The Dark Knight Returns, which is where they, I understand this is not the same story, but is sort of what inspired this Batman versus Superman. We've seen him in the Frank Miller armor. And sure, stuff. right. We know that fight's coming. Even that story, I'm saying if you directly adapted it. Thank you. Could yes. easily be PG-13. Dark Knight Returns is not R-rated. No. As I'm researching for this story, I'm seeing people in comments threads going, whoa, you guys never read a Batman comic? Yes. I've, I've read been reading Batman comics for almost 40 years. Absolutely. None of which Batman comics are not R rated. None of which Superman comics are R. not R rated. Some of the most disturbing Batman stories you will read. Killing Joke, one of the most disturbing Batman stories you will ever read. I would argue not rated R. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah, and okay, and that's just Batman we're talking about. If you want me to believe that Superman in any form would be allowing anything rated R to be happening <laughs> while he's around. I, I'm sorry. That is preposterous. And that is also not a problem with Superman. And this goes back. No, it's a problem with the filmmakers. This, and we've been talking about this for years. This now. goes back to the main problem here. And that is 
Warner Brothers has no idea what to do with Superman. They think Superman is broken and they're trying to fix it by making him violent and edgy and mean or whatever. There is no problem with Superman and there's also no problem with Batman. Christopher Nolan made three wonderful Batman films. In the second Batman movie, he had the Joker running around driving pencils into dude's eyeballs. Yeah. And that movie was not right at all. Three wonderful Batman movies that were as noir and dark as they needed to be, and they weren't rated R. I want to talk more about the general idea that because of Deadpool's enormous box office success, everyone in Hollywood has a raging boner over the prospect of the R-rated superhero movie. That's what this is, right? Whether it makes sense or not. We're going to have to refer to this as the Deadpool effect from now on. I read a thing online this week that had a really good point. Uh, There have been R-rated superhero stories, absolutely, but the thing that almost all of them have in common is that they are deconstructionist. Yes. Watchmen is a deconstruction of the superhero myth. Yes. Deadpool is a parody of an extreme 90s superhero. Right. You know, the Punisher is, there have been rated R Punisher movies. The Punisher is not a hero. No, the Punisher is a psychopath. murderer. Yes. But if they put the Punisher in the Spider-Man movie... Would you want it to be rated R? That's stupid. Of course you wouldn't. No. It just seems to be further evidence that Warner Brothers not only doesn't understand what they have here with their history of these comics and these characters, they don't care. Yeah. They're in it to make money. And that's what they're doing. And you know what? I don't even blame Zack Snyder. This is what Zack Snyder is good at. This is what he does. Maybe he's just the wrong guy for this job. And you know, he's made plenty of movies that I really enjoy. I'm actually kind of coming around to the idea that maybe Zack Snyder's not really steering that ship as much as we think. He might not be. Although he did have a quote recently, and I think it was on Comic Book Resources, where he was saying, if you're bitching about, you know, this trailer, it's just because you don't know what Superman's yeah, about. Yeah, he, he said... Anyone uh, who really reads the comics yeah, knows he said, I'm killing it, you know? He said, I'm yeah, nailing if it you, If you think I changed Superman, then you're not, you're obviously not familiar with the comic books, to which I laughed until I fell out of my chair. <laughs> At this point, I mean, look, I'm not trying to be internet hater guy, and I'm not trying to be knee-jerk fanboy here either but i still want this to be a good movie but if it's right. not if it's not if it's what we think it's going to be if it's a train wreck that we're expecting i hope this tanks worse than the fantastic four <laughs> i hope it is complete failure so we never have to see again so okay like if you want to make one of the movies rated r make the suicide squad rated r sure i'm yes. fine with absolutely. that absolutely they're bad guys and here's the thing R-rated comic book movies are not a new idea. No. Both Punisher movies were rated R. Watchmen was rated R. 300 was rated R, also by Zack Snyder. Uh, Road to Perdition. And that's just a few. Yeah. Sin City was rated R, though. Sin City, yes. The Sin City movies. Kingsman, a kick-ass. Yeah. So there are lots of R-rated comic book movies. But just because Deadpool was a success, that doesn't mean you should make the next X-Men movie. Right. Well, that's that's the rumor, right? Like the next Wolverine movie is going to be rated R. But you know what? I'm okay with a rated R Wolverine movie. Wolverine murders people. Yeah, but I'll accept it. (laughs) I'll accept it. But again, like with Batman and like with Deadpool, there is nothing inherently R rated about that character or what Uh, they do. I agree. Or how they've ever been portrayed. But I would say it lends itself better to Wolverine than it does Superman or Batman any day of the week. Yeah, I'll agree with you there. That 
that is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where Joe and I are calling our shot on what some of the rated R footage of the upcoming Batman v Superman whatever entails. Joe, any guesses? Superman leaves his wiener out accidentally on the outside of his trunks. I like it. I'm going for a full-on prison rape scene right after he goes down the tunnel and takes the cowl off Batman. Oh, oh. Matt, rape jokes are never funny. Unless this dude's in prison. Yeah, okay. <laughs> it's time to unveil this week's question of the week. Here's how it works. Every week, our chief of rated R superhero movies, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week. On the THN forums. It's a super cool place. Joey, what are we asking the nerds this week? This week's question comes from D. Murray. Hey! Who's watching us on Periscope right now? He wants to revisit the glory days of Amalgam Comics. Amalgam! <laughs> For those of you that are too young to remember, uh, Amalgam was a joint event gimmick promotion between Marvel and DC. Where they had a four-issue Marvel vs. DC Battle Royale, all culminating in a week's worth of Amalgam Comics, where their respective universes were smooshed together. You got DC's peanut butter and Marvel's chocolate, and it made a peanut butter cup. It was back in 1996. 1996. Back before Marvel and DC were the equivalent of uh, the Republicans and Democrats in Congress that refused to talk or work with each other. <laughs> right. <laughs> the, the deal was you'd have... Uh, Superman and Captain America, and they merged together to form a new character called Super Soldier. Right. Doctor Strange and Doctor Fate had a book called Doctor Strange Fate. Yeah. <laughs> so it was that sort of thing. Batman and Wolverine were Dark Claw. Yeah, Legends of the Dark Claw. And so they were th th these merged versions of these characters. Bruce Wayne, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Which was super fun. <laughs> yeah. D wants to know who you would combine together to make into a modern amalgam character. All right. Bonus, you got to flesh them out a little bit. Tell, them, tell us what their deal is. Give them a cool code name. Extra bonus points for me if it is a sweet 90s style code name. Oh, totally. Like Dark Claw. Yeah. It's got to be <laughs> Cheeseball, man. You have until 5 o'clock Central Standard Time this Friday, March 4th. To get us your answer, you can call the Ziggurat Hotline, 402-819-4894. Leave a message there. If you're feeling R-rated, you can send an MP3 to 2 at a nerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. Matt will cut you off. Not me. Again, it's our AI. He keeps blaming the AI. <laughs> if you need more time than that, go to the forums. We have a question of the week section. You can do it up. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the Answer of the Week podcast. Speaking of D. Murray real quick, and the THM forums for that matter. hey -oh. The dude has posted a nerd bracket challenge, like a March Madness style bracket challenge. Oh. Events and crossovers. Okay. So it's 16 seeds. Okay. And so you've got like on the left side... Uh, Zero Hour versus Age of Apocalypse, Clone Saga versus the Magneto War. Oh, so we're going to vote for him and see who wins? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, so fun. get to the forums, vote for your favorites, and D is going to keep track of that stuff, presumably. And uh, it's THN March Madness. Winner takes all. I love it. Uh, round one is kicking off right now, so your votes right now are for Zero Hour versus Age of Apocalypse. All right. Let's make it, should we make it weekly? So it's it, like in a month, we're done? So it's just all March. What are you saying, D? D? Uh, we're doing it weekly? Let's do it weekly. So we'll uh, we'll announce the next round next week. Does that work? Yep. All right. There it is. Good job. That's awesome. 
It's review time in the ziggurat where we read and discuss two of this week's comics, usually, and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Matt, I know you had a rough week. Let's not take it out on some poor starving creative team, okay? Tell you what, the man's really got me down. But this week, I got to read Hellboy and the BPRD 1953 colon Beyond the Fences number one. Man, that is a title. From Dark Horse, written by Mike Mignola it and is, it is a title, yes. Chris Roberson, with art by Paolo Rivera, 32 pages, 350. I've been reading Hellboy since day one, literally, and I'm not bragging here. I've got a half sleeve of Hellboy tattoos on my left arm. I hated both Del Toro's Hellboy movies, so... You did not hate Hellboy 1. Come on. I didn't love it. I didn't love the end. I'm still pissed about the end. Shouldn't have been a love story. Stupid. That's one part of a larger movie. Ruined it. That doesn't nail down my Hellboy credibility. I don't know what does. In all the years I've been following Magnola's unlikely demon spawn hero, I've never seen a story this bright. The Magnolaverse is dark. Very dark. I'm talking using all the black ink you've got dark. Maybe it's Roberson's influence or Rivera wanting to make this story his own, but more than half the story takes place in broad daylight. And I mean... That's because they're in Rockwell's America. I mean, beautifully drawn by Rivera and colored by Dave Stewart, suburban broad daylight. I don't think I've ever seen a Hellboy story or any Magnoliverse story this vividly colorful, and it threw me off. Tonally, the characters are perfect. The year's 1953, so Hellboy's a little younger and skinnier, but otherwise, he's still the gruff, red, demon-fighting demon we've come to love. Here, Hellboy and the team are investigating sightings of a Jersey Devil-type character that's been spotted in Rosemond, California. Upon further investigation, pets are missing all over the suburb, and, of course, a deeper mystery is coming into focus. The Hellboy mythos have been going strong since the early 90s, and they can seem like an impenetrable maze. But every time Mignola and whoever he's working with at this time start a new series, they go out of their way to make it completely accessible to readers new and old. The only thing that caught me off guard here was Rivera's art. Not because it's bad. I loved his Spider-Man, his Daredevil, and just about everything he's worked on. I just didn't realize what a style change he would bring to Hellboy. Honestly, though, the comic came with a Norman Rockwell homage cover, and it takes place in suburban 1950s California. So, Rivera's a perfect choice, and Hellboy and the gang are the ones that really stick out. This was definitely a change in tone, but it was great, and it shows that Magnolia's Hellboy is still fresh and interesting as ever. Props to Roberson. This is the first stuff he's really done in the Magnolia universe. This was fantastic. I'm giving this a buy it. Yeah, I loved it. I love Hellboy. I love all the Hellboy books I read. I mean, I don't even at this point. I feel like why even bother reviewing them? Right. But you got to admit, but the, this the one was it, visually striking. Yes, and that I'm I'm tracking that 100 up to Paolo Rivera, yeah, without a doubt. That dude is amazing. He's one of my favorite artists, and like you said, I mean, the visual tonal shift makes perfect sense because they're not in Prague in right. some cave, right? You know, they're in Norman Rockwell's America. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's picket fences and gee whiz kids and old life magazines and that sort of thing. Yeah. It's gorgeous. It's beautiful. I loved it. It's a buy it. Joe Patrick, I don't know what you're doing here, man. You didn't review any comics. I did. You're getting into some weird technical BS. Tell me. I what, did. Tell me about your review. All right. So this week we're doing a little something different. Instead of reviewing one of this week's comics... I am going to give a rundown and review of the newly launched Stila Digital Comics app. 
which was released this week for iOS Android devices coming soon. It's a free download. It's got a $4.99 per month subscription model. So Stila was announced late last year as a sort of comics equivalent to Netflix or Spotify. For this monthly fee, readers would have access to a variety of digital comics from an expanding roster of creators with the promise that the library would grow nearly every day. This week, the Stila app went live just in time to join Wednesday's new comics, and I took the app for a test drive to see how it works and if any of the comic offerings are worth the investment. So the first thing you learn about Stila is that it is optimized for use on mobile phones. Though it does work on tablets or on your iPad, it is optimized specifically for the phone. So that means that the reading experience is a lot different than with traditional comics or even your typical digital comic. Instead of cycling through pages from left to right with Stila, you scroll up and down, viewing the art a panel at a time. The experience takes a little getting used to as the idea of the traditional comic page kind of goes out the window. Even thinking of the art as being divided into panels is kind of inaccurate because the technology allows artists to get really inventive with their layouts, even using a, a kind of an infinite panel style that some webcomic artists have adopted where readers follow the story as it flows continuously from top to bottom in one long unbroken piece of art. As a result of the format, the art found in Stila Comics seems more vertically oriented, so you're probably not going to see anything that looks kind of like a double-page spread. As for the interface, I found it really user-friendly and super intuitive. It's a simple swipe left or right, and that allows you to cycle through Stila's featured offerings. The latest releases are shown in a horizontal scroll bar along the bottom, Swiping up on the main screen brings up the description and the creator info for the title that you're looking at. And at any given time, you're just a couple of screen taps away from the main menu, which allows you to switch between comics really easily. I do wish that there was just one screen you could go to that listed all the titles with their chapters there. As it is now, you have to scroll through the bottom until you find what you want. I also encountered a glitch where the app displayed the wrong creator information for a comic I had just finished. But it was also a comic that I had read earlier, so maybe it's like a caching problem or something. I don't know. I'm not a tech guy. But considering the app just launched, I think it works remarkably well, and the experience of exploring and switching between all the different titles is very satisfying. I sampled a bunch of the titles on the app, and I have a couple of favorites so far. Victor Santos has a title called IPP, Intellectual Property Police which is a sci-fi story set in a far future world where all entertainment is based on licensed properties and original works of art and fiction are outlawed. <laughs> That's where we're headed, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> I also loved Chaos Arena Crystal Fighters by Jen and Tyler Bartell, which is about a little girl whose parents give her some bull virtual reality Sailor Moon ripoff game instead of the violent like Call of Duty thing she wants. And while she's playing it, she's trying to break it. She tries to do things that aren't allowed. So she's like, is trying to kill her opponents. And the game's like, uh, nope, there's no killing in this game. <laughs> and so it starts to glitch. And so she stumbles into this all girl cage fighting arena that's buried deep within the game's servers. Good Lord. It was great. And it's all like super cute because right. it's Sailor Mooney. Right. Uh, but yeah, then it's like cage fighting. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's also a great new series called Rome West by Brian Wood and Andrea Moody. I like that one a lot. Where a group of shipwrecked Roman soldiers find themselves on the shores of America a thousand years before Columbus sailed the ocean blue. There's a lot to enjoy on Stila already, so I haven't read everything, and I don't really think you're expected to. It's not like you watch every movie and show on Netflix or listen to every song on Spotify. You have to ask yourself if there's enough content to justify subscribing. Will you get your money's worth? And for me, the answer was yes. After taking a day or so to see what they had to offer, I gladly signed up for a subscription. Five bucks a month. That's cheaper than two comics. Yeah. And as they work out the bugs and the creators start to get used to the format and the things they can do, I think the experience is only going to get better. So in THN terms, I guess I'm giving Stila a buy it. I think it's a great idea. I like what they're going for here. And I think $4.99 a month is more than reasonable, even for just what they have right now. I like that they're going to be adding more. It was a little clunky. And now it is a new app. I get that. And they probably will be changing things. I did not but care. But you did it on the iPad. I did it on the iPad. I did it on my phone, too. I tried it both. See, I did not think it was clunky at all. See, I don't love the scrolling up and down. And maybe it's just I'm old-fashioned like that. It's sort of like PDF treatment. And I would much rather go from page to page. Like, but that's just it. There are no pages, really, anymore. Well, and I get that. This is a different format. But I found it a little clunky in that sense. Uh, the thing you mentioned about finding the comics when you have to look at the bottom of the screen and stuff, that was also a little clunky. Yeah, that, uh, that where I wish there would just be like a button that says titles. Right. And it's just a list. Or genre or whatever. Right. I mean, or creator, you know, something like that. And, and I'm sure they'll get there. They're adding to it. I'm sure yeah. they'll get there. Yeah. For now, I'm saying, yeah, I would give it a buy it as well. I think it's going to improve and get better. I'm curious to see what all ends up here. And they've got some quality names behind it. So far, it's yeah. It's a good idea. And in terms of the publisher themselves, like Stila as a publisher, I saw uh, artist Ulysses Farinas mm-hmm. post something online this week. Who we both love. Yeah. Where he said that he submitted an invoice for some work that he did for Stila that's upcoming. And they immediately paid it. Wow. Which already puts them way above yeah. 90% of the current publishers, <laughs> yeah. including giant corporations. Yeah, head and shoulders above. <laughs> so this, to me, seems like way more artist-focused, like creator-focused. And creator-friendly. And creator-friendly. And right now, it's looking like a really great deal. Yeah. So that is a double buy it for Hellboy and the BPRD. 1953 Beyond the Fence, and a double buy it for the Stila Comics app. Now it's time for you paranormal detectives and app developers to play critic. Head over paranormal app developers to thnforums.boards.net and tell us what you thought of these comics and apps. In the wake of Justice Antonin Scalia's death, Matt and I realized that the Republicans in Congress were going to do everything in their power to obstruct anyone President Obama nominated. So we reached out to the cosmic forces of the universe to save the Supreme Court. And we got a little more than we bargained for. It seems the Living Tribunal has heard our call, and the vastly powered cosmic entity is on its way to Earth now to weigh in on whether or not Apple should unlock their phones for the government, and if Ted Cruz can be president. He's Canadian, so... (laughs) So join us now as we review ten more of this week's comics before Cosmic Justice shows up to put this deadlocked country back on course during 
the ludicrous speed round. Ludicrous speed, go! Superman, the coming of the Superman, number one from DC, the book I demanded you make your main review. <laughs> I know, but I was so impressed by that other thing. Matt warned me, and he was right. Legendary comic artist Neil Adams returns to DC with a bizarre story right out of the Bronze Age. It was so weird. The primary plot seems pretty straightforward. I'm talking about the A plot, okay? Oh, boy. But it also seems so needlessly complicated. Darkseid is attacking Earth, and there are three other Supermen running around Metropolis, and Superman is babysitting an orphan boy from the Middle East for some reason, and <laughs> there's a weird green demon dude feeding Superman cryptic advice the entire time, and for some reason, he's not just the Martian Manhunter. Nope. I don't know. Nope. Adams turns the identity of the extra Superman into a big mystery, despite the fact that the solicit for this issue explains their origins and motivation in detail. <laughs> And while there can be no argument that Adams is a master, there are some moments where his art feels a little rushed and incomplete. But it's not all bad. It's goofy as hell. And it's pretty fun in a 70s throwback kind of way. I got some kind of bizarre enjoyment out of it. So I'm giving the coming of the Superman number one a skim. Oh, good lord. It's a leave it from me. No, listen, I, I got like dizzy while I read this. It's it's weird and Crazy. We're going to review Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas real quick here. It was not as confusing as this. Uh, well, I didn't think it was confusing. Anyways, Ginger Dead Man, number one from Danger Zone. It seems Puppet Master wasn't enough for Danger Zone, and now they're mining some of Full Moon Features' lesser-known horror films. If you haven't seen Ginger Dead Man, don't. Like the story of a killer cookie, the Ginger Dead Man. It's just as bad as you imagine, and in comic form... It's even worse. Here, a group of punks break into a bakery to cook up a new drug called confection into cookies. When baked, the high is amazing, but in its raw form, confection is deadly. It just so happens that this is the same bakery that created the psychotic cookie the first time, and now he's got drug-induced superpowers. Wait, is this a sequel of some kind? It happens after the Ginger Dead Man movie. Oh, it's it is, a follow-up to the movie. It is a return of the Ginger Dead Man. Jesus. You thought the Superman book was confusing. This was terrible. And I'm done talking about it. Leave it. Imposter, number one from 21 Pulp. This was a really pleasant surprise from writer James Patrick, no relation, and artist Martin Szymanski, and colorist Osmargo Valadao. Wow. Yeah. I'm really glad I didn't read the solicit before I read the book because when I looked it up on the Diamond site afterwards, the solicit gave away the entire plot. Oh, really? This is a superhero story with a really interesting hook, and it's got me eager to read more. At first, I thought the creators were giving us a handful of completely unconnected scenes featuring different heroes, but it all came together at the end with a reveal I didn't see coming. Again, do not read too much about the book before you read the actual book because it will really give it away. My biggest complaint is that I enjoyed Zemanski's work here, but Valadao's color palette is so dark that it really muddies the art. Still, I was really impressed by Imposter number one, and I'm giving it a buy it. Huh. It was good. Grayson, number 17 from DC. Not one, but two Wildstorm alone show up here. Cole Cash, the grifter, 
and Tao. Remember Tao? Ooh, yeah. I love that character. And Tim Seeley does a fantastic job riding them. Dick is fighting his old employer, Spiral, and needs the help of some spies of questionable allegiance to do so. One of which left me wondering if a major pre-New 52 DC event ever took place. Grayson has turned into a wonderful spy intrigue book. And I am really going to miss it when it rebirths, quite honestly. This is one of the few really good monthly titles going on at DC right now. Dirk Gently, Spoon Too Short, number one from IDW. Yeah, close enough. Dirk Gently is back in a new series that is a prequel to the previous mini for some reason. Dirk's got some new creators, writer Arvind Ethan David and artist Elias Kuriazis better known as the artist of Jay Farber's Secret Identities, which we love. Yeah, that was great. This time around, the holistic detective tackles the case of the family that mysteriously loses the ability to communicate. Not only can they not speak, but they can't even write words. Whoa! Something's up. The story is lighthearted and fun, and Kiriazis is great, but, and I don't want this to sound weird, but the book was full of moments that were oddly sexual. Okay. Not that that's a problem in, in fiction or anything, right? but it seems way out of place for Dirk Gently. Okay. Am I wrong? I I mean, I... Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> Regardless, the Dirk Gently... I mean, no, you're not wrong is what I'm saying. Right, I, I yes, it. I agree. <laughs> Regardless, the Dirk Gently comics are a lot of fun, and this one is no exception. I'm giving it a buy it. Okay. Yeah. Street Fighter X G.I. Joe, number one from IDW. There was no story that could have explained this one, so writer Aubrey Sitterson went the Street Fighter video game route and ditched it all together. <laughs> Destro and M. Bison teamed up, and they have a super weapon. Now you must fight in a tournament that pits Joes against Street Fighter characters for no reason I could discern at all. With that said, it was kind of fun. <laughs> and just as ridiculous as the intros to all the Street Fighter games that I have ever loved. I'm giving this a skim it. <laughs> yeah. Patsy Walker, Hellcat, number three from Marvel. Patsy Walker, Hellcat, number three from Marvel. I missed out on reviewing this book when it first launched. I think number one came out the week of the Beppo show, so we just haven't really touched on it. Hellcat is the latest in Marvel's growing line of super cute comedy titles like The Unbeatable Squirrel Girl and Howard the Duck. Writer Kate Leth has taken Patsy from the pages of Charles Soule's She-Hulk, and we catch up with her as an unemployed hero trying to fire up her new superhero temp agency while her childhood nemesis makes money on Patsy's past as a romance comic star. It's a neat little mashup of the classic romance era, Patsy's superhero history from the 70s to now, and even the version we saw in Jessica Jones on Netflix. At first, I hated the art by Brittany Williams. Hated it. Not that it doesn't fit the story, but she does this thing where Patsy will become some sort of cherubic, chibi little version of herself, and it takes me right out. Yeah, I can't stand that. Right out. I will turn an anime off the second that happens. Wait. <laughs> like, no thanks. But the more I read it, the more this book grows on me. This issue features a team up with Hellcat's old Defenders buddy, Doctor Strange, as she deals with a corrupt landlord and magic bedbugs. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. It's light, and it's silly, and it's fun, and I think I like it, but the art still kind of bothers me, and for that reason, I'm giving Hellcat number three a skim it. Transformers number 50 from IDW. There's at least four different Transformers series running at IDW right now, and honestly, all of them are way better than you would expect them to be. 
The opening page sums up everything you need to know about this series and all the other minis and tie-ins that occur concurrently. More importantly, Optimus Prime is back, and writer John Barber makes it feel important. Andrew Griffith and KCW Collier are perfect on the art here, paying homage to the Transformers cartoon of the 80s that I grew up on. Every time I read IDW's Transformers, I realize if Marvel and DC fail me completely, I can always just read Transformers, and I'll be perfectly happy. I'm giving this a buy it. Winona Earp, number one from IDW! It has been a long time since I've read a comic written by Bo Smith, writer of my beloved Guy Gardner Warrior. That's right. I said beloved. Winona Earp is the descendant of the legendary Marshall Wyatt Earp, and she's following in her ancestors' footsteps as a member of the Black Badge Division, which is a division of the U.S. Marshals that hunt paranormal fugitives. It's a super cool idea, but even though Winona has been around for years, this is my first time reading about her. I kind of liked it, but there were a couple of things that hindered my enjoyment a bit. There's a mysterious character working with Earp and her partner that I kept mistaking for the issue's main villain because their visual designs were so similar. The mysterious informant is never mentioned by name, nor is his connection to the marshals explained at all. Based on his presence on several of the issue's alternate covers, I think he's supposed to be Doc Holliday? Okay who is one of the series' regular characters, but the script gives zero indication to that fact. I thought the art by Laura Innes was nice, but her soft, rounded style seems kind of ill-fitting for this book. Plus, it looks like she drew almost everything with the same line weight. So it really messes with any sense of depth that you should get when you're looking at a panel packed full of foreground and background detail. Right, right. Still, I enjoyed the concept, so I think I'm going to stick with the book for a while. There are some things I found very confusing, and so Winona Earp gets a skimming. Haunted Love, number one from IDW. Welcome to IDW Cast. <laughs> Haunted Love is a collection of stories collected from the pages of IDW's other pre-comics code anthologies, Weird Love and Haunted Horror. This anthology anthologizes the bizarre love stories written and drawn by forgotten creators and this one has it all cautionary tales about the dangers of feminism necrophiliac love stories and of course sexy zombies steve baines Clizia gusoni and craig yo have painstakingly collected these forgotten tales to keep the names of these creators alive these books are so much fun and completely bizarre i'm giving it a bite That is your ludicrous speed round, and KO is the onomatopoeia of the week, and also the sound of the Baroness getting knocked out by Rufus. Who's Rufus? He was a later character. As seen in the pages of Street Fighter X G.I. Joe number one. Rufus was sort of like a big fat dude that would spin around and do this tornado punch thing. Okay. And he's kind of a womanizer. All right, sure. Here at THN, we love movies, and there is no bigger celebration of the movies than the Oscars. I'm sure by now you've heard the criticism of how whitewashed the awards are. So, we decided to invite one of our favorite hardcore gangsta motherfuckers from the great beyond. And film buff. Easy e himself. To join us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum for our annual Oscar party. Joe, pass a spliff, and let's get this seance going. While I pour out some malt liquor on the Ouija board, why don't you tell the kids about your must-read pick for next week? Let's not beat around the bush, Matt. Both of our picks 
for next week are Black Widow number one from Marvel Comics. I could not pick it, man. It's reuniting the Daredevil team of Chris Somney and Mark Wade. Uh, though this time it sounds like Chris Somney is co-writing. Written by Chris Somney and Mark Wade. It's 32 pages for $3.99. Here's the solicit. With art by Chris Somney. Yeah, everybody knows that. Why? Chris Somney's the artist. I'm Okay, I'm just saying we always say it. Here's your solicit. Shield's most wanted! See, I don't think you should have to shout shield because it's an anagram. Then you should have to shout S-H-I-E-L-D to the no. The Eisner award-winning team of Mark Wade and artist Chris Somney are taking Black Widow on the lamb. Natasha has spent years gathering secrets, and when some of the darkest ones begin mysteriously going public, no one is safe. With her betrayed former Confederates at S.H.I.E.L.D. on her heels and a lifetime of training and ingenuity at her disposal. We are idiots. Uh, it's true. Natasha's out for answers in a knockdown, drag out tale of action and espionage. Hidden enemies, old friends, and unusual allies collide, and all eyes are on the Black Widow. The chase is on. I really enjoyed the last Black Widow series. People did. Yeah, I, I never read it. Nathan Edmondson and Phil Noto yeah. did a lot of it, and I just never read it. Yeah, it just didn't sell well. Not because it wasn't good. I don't know if Black Widow was popular enough to carry her own series. I. Hope so. Well, I mean, they've given her a thousand tries. Yeah, I hope so, because this creative team is awesome. and We loved their Daredevil. I'm curious to see where they go with this. I think this is the sort of creative team that gets people to read the comic. I hope so. Even if they aren't necessarily fans of the character. I hope so. We looked into it. Uh, we talked about this a few, a couple months ago on the show when they announced this creative team. Looking forward to it, though. The THN trade of the week goes to... The Pitiful Human Lizard, Volume 1, trade paperback from Chapter House Comics, who are our favorite Canadians. Yeah. Hardworking Canadians. Uh, next to the guys from Panel Culture. It's written and illustrated by Jason Liu. It's an indeterminate number of pages. Yeah, we're not certain. For $19.99. Still probably a deal. It's, it, but it collects issues one through five, so you got to figure that's a good bargain. Totally. Here's your solicit. Toronto's got a new superhero, and he's pitiful. Lucas Barrett is an office clerk by day and a struggling superhero on evenings and weekends. Since costume repairs and his Brazilian jiu-jitsu classes strain his tight budget, Lucas volunteers as a test subject for a pharmaceutical company's trial painkiller. After a disgusting ordeal, Lucas realizes that the experimental drug left him with regenerative powers. With his newfound abilities, the human lizard is ready to take on any challenge that awaits him, even a supervillain interrupting his first date. So like we said, it's one through five plus material from another project called Made in Chinatown. I don't know what that is. I don't either. But it's extra stuff. Yeah. We loved Pitiful Human I think Lizard we though. did the first two issues on this show. We did. It's a great comic. It's really good. Yeah. And the, when we did the first issue, it was just a little self-published thing that uh, Charlie Tron, one of our love slays, pointed out to us. He said, you got to read right. this. That's right. And after we did that, they got picked up by Chapter House. I'm not saying we helped. Right. But I mean, the THN bump, everybody knows it's a thing. Sure. You're welcome. (laughs) (sighs) I feel like he's being a little harsh on DiCaprio personally. I mean, dude crawled inside a dead horse and ate guts on camera, man. True, bro. It's true. Bullshit. Neither straight out of Compton or Creed got nominated, but give a dude some props. I'm with you. While we finish this deep and paranormal examination of racism in Hollywood. Why don't you head over to the THM forums? Tell us what you're excited to read. 
next week. <laughs> you have a lot more experience pretending to sound high than I do. <laughs> Remember when Matt and I used to read and review a trade paperback or graphic novel? Every single month. That was a long time ago. Well, it's been a little while. But take a look, it's in a book is back, and this month we've got a doozy. It took us almost three months, but we did it, Joe. We slogged through the drug-fueled lunacy that is Troy Little's adaptation of Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. The mescaline is just starting to wear off for me, so I'm gonna go puke my brains out. Why don't you tap the ether and set the story up for these junkies? Here we go. Hunter S. Thompson was an American journalist and author and the founder of the Gonzo Journalism Movement, which is an experimental style of journalism where reporters involve themselves in the action to such a degree that they become central figures of their own stories. That's one way to put it. A better way to put it is that Thompson was a massive drug addict and not doing his job. Sure. But the thing is, is that he was so well regarded that he yes. was able to make that into well, a thing. He was a very good writer as well. Thompson's writing has been adapted into three feature films, including the work he remains best known for Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, a savage journey to the heart of the American dream. The story follows its protagonist, Thompson's alter ego, Raul Duke, and his attorney, Dr. Gonzo, as they descend on Las Vegas to chase the American dream through a drug induced haze all the while ruminating on the failure of the 1960s countercultural movement. Countercultural is a difficult word to say. <laughs> You're doing fine. Now Eisner Award nominated artist Troy Little has adapted the story into a graphic novel for Top Shelf Productions. Matt, let's get into it. How high were you when you read this book? Exceptionally. And I don't know that there's another way to do it. I've been a Thompson fan for a long time. I discovered him years ago in high school and just fell in love with how bizarre his writing actually is. And it is extremely bizarre. This is drug-fueled journalism at its best. And it's just insane. I would honestly say, when I read the book, I really enjoyed it. Later on, a movie with Johnny Depp playing... Hunter S. Thompson came out, Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, starring him and Benicio Del Toro as Dr. Gonzo. It really put in perspective a lot of the imagery from the book. They obviously, they, they took some uh, liberties, if you will, I mean, to sure sort either. of like, because he, Thompson is not necessarily describing everything in the book as a full on It's not a, what we trip. would call a narrative. No, it is bizarre. It is a full on meta narrative. And I think that movie very much helped Troy Little in working on this adaptation of the comic little does a, an amazing job of maintaining that wacky feeling behind it, that strangeness and just experimenting with his panels where while Thompson is relatively sober or telling a story that makes some sense, like when he's leaving, when he's sent on assignment to cover this motorcycle race just outside of Las Vegas, things are fairly normal with the panels. And as he gets more and more stoned on several different drugs. So many. <laughs> the panels. So many drugs. Begin to lean. They begin to overlap each other. And then at some points, they completely swirl Spiral. around the page where you literally have to turn your book or iPad or whatever you're reading it on to follow along. His art was perfect for this, though. Totally agree. Perfect. It was like Burke Brethed, who used to do Bloom County. On, Who does Bloom County? Oh, that's right. Bloom back. County's back. I forgot. It was like Burke Breathhead. It's like it never left. Yeah, of Bloom County fame on drugs. <laughs> really? And 
honestly, I started this just the other day and I watched the movie while I was reading it and it matched up very well. This is more from the book adaptation than the movie adaptation. There's things to happen in here that didn't happen in the movie. I cannot imagine a more difficult job than trying to adapt something like this to comic format and especially graphic novel format without making it 200 issues long. Let me ask you a question. There is, I don't know if it's too much of a spoiler to say that there is a chapter in the book. It's essentially notes from the editor, right? Where it's like the recordings were unintelligible or caked in some sort of substance (laughs) and we were not able to salvage them. (laughs) Yes. Here's what we got out of it. Is that in the movie? Yes. Is it? Absolutely. Okay. But it's more, it's a scene of him sitting in a hotel room, listening to bits and pieces of it and him saying, it's completely unintelligible. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely useless. Gotcha. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and again, we don't know how much of this actually happened or how much of it was in Hunter S. Thompson's head or how much of it he wrote I'm and exaggerated. Because there were, there were, this might've been intentional. It may have just been me not paying attention or it may have been a fault of the artist. I don't know, but the progression of time, I lost track of it. It's not supposed to make sense. Like, and it jumps. Big time. Okay, right, because there are a couple of times where Thompson and Gonzo are not together. Yes. And I swear to God, like the page previous, it was like I woke up and Gonzo was gone. Mm -hmm. And then what appeared to only be panels later, he was already back in his Malibu office dressed in a suit like at his law office. I'm like, Well, hold on. <laughs> so, well, here's the thing that didn't actually happen. He was, and that's that was my next question. Yeah. It's like, well, how much of this is actually that's just it going on? That was Hunter S. Thompson's paranoia. Like, he ditched me. He's back in Malibu. He left. In fact, he's still in Vegas at a different hotel. <laughs> so, okay. just like in the book that this comic is adapted from, Thompson doesn't bother to set stuff like that up. It's not important. What's important is the rambling, the absolute insanity of the situation. And Little did such a fantastic job capturing that in his panel work, in his art, in the dialogue, in the lettering. I mean, they just yeah, the lettering is good. Absolutely nailed this. I cannot give it a bigger buy. See, that's where I'm getting stuck. Okay, because I agree, the art was perfect for this, and he was so talented. And I had never heard of him before this book. I can't say that I had either. But he's the sort of artist now where the next thing I hear of, I'll, I'll be paying attention. I'll be looking for his name. Oh, absolutely. How do you recommend a book like this to people? Like, I wouldn't recommend that people rush out and see Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas unless, unless they're a certain type of temperament, you know? And so I'm kind of struggling with a rating. I guess all I can go, I can go off of is how I felt about it. Sure. And I really enjoyed reading it. Okay. So I'm going to give it a buy it, but I will kind of give it the caveat that some people just are not going to be into this. Oh, no, absolutely. It's it's definitely a story for someone who wants to read about wacky 70s drug counterculture. And as a snapshot of that time, it's pretty interesting. It's amazing how much it gets right while being so hallucinogenic and bizarre. It, it shows what a genius Thompson really was and a lunatic. And man, I just I can't think of a harder story to adapt into the comic form and in little kill. It also ends very abruptly. Yeah. So did the book. Okay. So does the movie. All right. <laughs> it's just like, we're done here. So that's a double buy it for fear and loathing in Las Vegas. It's from IDW slash top shelf. It's available now in print at uh, your local comic shop. 
online. Uh, I'm sure there must be a digital version out there. Yes, there is. Check it down. It's an interesting read. We both enjoyed it. Next month, we will be reviewing The Rattler, original graphic novel from Image Comics written by Jason McNamara with art by Airboys, Greg Hinkle. We love that guy. Been looking for more from him. Cannot wait to see his penis again. (laughs) (laughs) So if you can pick up the book, it comes out on March 23rd, reviewed along with us. Sort of break it it down like this. And that is it for this Oscar-snubbed episode of THN. If you dig podcasts to promote smoking weed and summoning the dead, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn, or anywhere quality podcasts are found. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, your reviews, your thumbs up, and your hearts. It's the only thing that helps us appear in searches for this stuff, guys. So every time you do it, you're tickling us pink. Gross. Thank you to all of our donors. You are the only thing that keeps this podcast PG-13. Yeah. If you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at TwoHeadedNerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply check the box that says make this donation monthly when you donate. Remember, as little as a dollar a month really does help. And if you're interested in sponsoring THN, hit us up with an email with the subject line sponsorship. If you want to get in our digital faces and yell at us personally, head over to TwoHeadedNerd.com. There you can find links to all of our contact info via Periscope. We're on it right now. We answered questions on the show. If you watch it, you could be part of the show. Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr, where we put the outtake of the week. Skype and the Ziggurat hotline, 402-819-4894. Using all of this, you can interact with us, not just on the answer of the week, on this show too. And we love it when you do. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bomb's Spotify profile. Before we go, our weekly shout out goes to Elise Wisdom, who made her sports talk radio debut on the bottom line with our buddy Michael Severe this week and to Mr. Severe himself, who just joined the THN forums. Our first celebrity member. Look at that. Word to you guys. Until next time, true believers, remember to pre-order your comics or your retailer just might make you look like a jackass on the Michael Severe show. This is the Two-Headed Nerd. Signing off!